how things sound here. You know, every time we have one of these Sundays, uh, I think of Jim and Chris Kunkel right here in the front. You remember that day? They came up to the church with purpose in their eyes to come to church on the absolute worst day we've ever had. Today is like summer compared to the day you came. You came with uh, your kids, and and there was nobody downstairs to keep the kids. And so Rhonda went down, and she got a big thing full of crayons and coloring books and things like that, and brought it up to you, and you sat there. I think it was you and me, and that was about it. And, uh, but it's amazing. God does special things <laughs> in these kinds of days. <laughs> and they're an important part of our church right now. Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 15. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk to you about getting the most out of the Christian life. That's what Jesus was talking to his disciples. He may not have phrased it that way, but that's what he was talking to his disciples about in what we call the last discourse of our Lord. The last discourse of our Lord is recorded in John 13 through John 17. It's a section. Jesus is in the upper room. Uh, He leaves the upper room. He goes to the Mount of Olives. And en route, he... uh, he sees these grape harbors and these grapevines, and he teaches his disciples an important lesson from a world that they're very well acquainted with, the grapevine. John 15, 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. For those of you who may like to underline things in your Bible, uh, the word to underline here in these first eight verses is the word fruit. Because this whole section is about fruit. Let's look at verse 2 again. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now here is the promise of prayer in verse number 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. To me, that's one of the most incredible, simple, concise statements on prayer in the whole Bible. Jesus said... If you spend time with me and my words spend time in in you, then whenever you talk to me and you call upon me, I'll answer you and I'll give you your heart's desire. Now, you should write there in in that section, Psalm 37, 4, in the margin. And you know what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Those two verses fit together hand in glove. They really do. Jesus said, if you hang out with me and my words, the Bible, saturate you, I'll give you what you want when you pray to me. That's very, very powerful. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. This whole section is about fruit. It's a metaphor. A metaphor is a lesson from everyday life with spiritual implications. Uh, Jesus uh, is describing how these disciples very, very soon can get more out of the Christian life. For instance, in verse 2, we have no fruit, fruit, and more fruit. Uh, Verse number 4, we have fruit. Verse 5 and verse 8, we have much fruit. Uh, What is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? What is the fruit that he wants to see in your life and mine? I think it's very clear and very plain in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we're going to look at that right now. Let's, uh, let's read this together, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now here Paul tells the Galatian church what the fruit of the Spirit is. This is what Jesus is trying to get over to his followers. This is the fruit that I want to see in your life. Um, Well, we know, and the first important part of this is the word love. It's the Greek word agape. We know what the world's definition of love is, don't we? But God's definition is different. The word agape, uh, go home and check it out on the the internet. Uh, Do a study on it. Uh, is uh, kind of an unexhaustible, inexhaustible word. You know, love is the greatest motivating force in all the world. You know, you can tell people, do this, do that, do this. You can legislate, you can command, you can do all these things. But it's not near as powerful as love. Uh, I heard a story about, um, about an old man who went to a clinic to get some uh, stitches out of his hand and as the nurse was taking the stitches out of his hand she noticed he was nervous he was fidgety Uh, he was looking at his watch he was uh, apprehensive and she said to him do you have an appointment Do you have another doctor's appointment this morning you have to go to and he said oh no he said but every morning I go to the nursing home and I have breakfast with my wife and the nurse said well will your wife be upset if, uh, if you're late for your breakfast. He said, no, she won't be upset because for the last three years, she, hasn't, she doesn't know who I am. And the nurse said, do you mean to tell me that you go every morning to have breakfast with your wife who doesn't know who you are? He says, yes, I do. He said, she doesn't know who I am, but I still know who she is. And whenever you hear that story, I don't know what effect it has on you, but it touches my heart. Because it's kind of like the epitome of what love really is. You know, we have people in our church and they're caring for their aged parents and they wouldn't think for one minute of ever not doing that. 
they delight in that. Even though it's hard, even though it is so difficult, they're going to do that because of the greatest motivating force in all the world is love. Now, with that said, the fruit that God wants from you and me is not only that, because that's like loving the lovely, but God's love, the word agape, is bigger than that. God's love is loving the unloving. The unloving. You see, the Bible says that you and all of us together are sons of disobedience, children of wrath, enemies of God. And so God looked down upon us, the unlovely, and reached out. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is a wonderful description of the word agape love. Uh, let's read it together. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice but injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, this is the love that God wants to see demonstrated in your life and in my life. And when you go through Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the next word is joy as opposed to happiness. These are qualities of a Christian. These are seeds. I like to call them seeds that God plants in our heart when we're first saved. And then we spend the rest of our Christian experiencing, experience watering those seeds and seeing them bloom uh, into something that's pleasing in the sight of God. Now, I know that you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I always thought that the fruit of a Christian was another Christian. It is, in addition to what I just said to you. Because the Bible says fruit produces after its kind. For instance, when you go out to plant an apple tree, you plant an apple seed. And from that apple seed, you get apples. If you plant peaches, you plant a peach seed. Fruit produces after its kind. And so a Christian produces after its kind. Uh, we produce other Christians. Now, let me put your heart at ease this morning. I know a lot of times we, we feel like we're not making much progress. We're not moving forward enough as a Christian. We're not bringing enough people to Christ. But let me say that when we are connected in the church, there is a dynamic at work that sometimes we don't think about. And that dynamic is explained in Philippians 4.17 when Paul said, I desire fruit to abound for your account. And what he meant by that is he was out in, in doing missionary work and it was being credited to the people in the Philippian church. We are interconnected. We are a team. 
Last summer, we had a group, as you know, they went to Ecuador. And, uh, you know, in the mission field, God always gives you special blessings that you never experience any other way. And numbers of people came to Christ. But do you know who God gave the credit to for those people? You. You people in the church. You are the ones that are networking together with everybody else in the church. We're giving together. We're praying together. And so God has this meticulous reward system that he divides up the credit when other people are coming to Christ. So I have to say today that those of us who feel like, hey, we're not, real, we're not in the presence of somebody coming to Christ, God is crediting the people coming to Christ to your account. And I think all of us would be quite surprised at how many and how fruitful the ministry really is. Now, this metaphor before us this morning is a grapevine. You know, the purpose of uh, a grapevine is fruit. Some trees and bushes are planted for beauty, but not the grapevine. You never find anybody going by the grape harbor saying, isn't that pretty? No. Uh, they're going by the grape harbor looking for grapes. All of the attention is devoted to producing grapes. And so that should be your attention and my attention. We've finally arrived in our study on these Sunday mornings at the last seventh I am statement of Jesus. Verse number one. I am the true vine. I am refers to the divinity of Christ, the God of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter three. God said to Moses, tell him I am sent you. Jesus is the source of of spiritual life. He's the vine, the stock. Uh, I think all of us agree today that God planted the nation of Israel in the promised land to be his vine. Read Jeremiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 5. In fact, in the Old Testament, during the time of Christ, Israel was noted as the vine. During the Maccabean period, which was right before Christ, they had coins. And on the coins, you can look it up on the internet. You can look everything up on the internet. They had coins, and on the coins in Israel was a picture of a vine. And it was uh, depicted the nation of Israel. God planted the nation of Israel in the Holy Land to produce fruit. But read Isaiah chapter 5. It became a degenerate vine that produced wild grapes and lost the protection of the gardener. Well, Jesus said here, I am the genuine vine. And so these people knew what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was planted in the promised land, Israel, like God planted Israel in the promised land, was planted by the Father, and the Father is the gardener or the vine dresser. You know that verse that we always use at Christmas time, Galatians 4.4. 4. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God planted his son in Bethlehem as his vine. That's what Jesus said. I am the true vine. The father planted the son and watched him as he grew. He sent angels to attend to him, to protect him, to minister to him. 
Well, you know, no one cares for the garden like the gardener, right? Let me ask you a question this morning. How many people here have ever been, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave a little wiggle room here for you. How many people have ever been uh, semi-successful at having a garden? Would you raise your hand? You've been semi-successful. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, that's, that impresses me. <laughs> hand by the numbers. Uh, I've never been in that category. I've tried numbers of times. I have fed the animals in my neighborhood well. I decided I'm not going to do this any longer. They're too well fed. Uh, no one cares for the garden like the gardener. Now the father is the garden and we are his vineyard. And the gardener labors over the vineyard. He looks to the harvest. He has great plans for the next growing season. His mind never leaves the garden. You know why? Follow me. The gardener is committed. This is really good. The, garden, the gardener is committed to the success of his garden. God is committed to that. God is committed to your success spiritually. That's his commitment. He watches over. He keeps his eye on you. Remember... Years ago, we used to sing the song in the church, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I love that song. And so, look at yourself as part of God's garden, and look at him as the gardener. The next part of this verse, in verse number 2, says, We are the dispensers, the branches. He produces the fruit in us if we distribute it. How will God love this world? Through you and through me. We are his delivery system. The word branch here in the, original, in the original writings means a tender shoot. It's fragile. Uh, and so that pictures you and me. We're pretty fragile, aren't we? It doesn't take much for us to get tripped up. We're fragile. Um, just a week or so ago, I was visiting my son John in Texas. And uh, he has these pecan trees. Uh, the horticulture has said that they're 150 years old. They, they look that old. They're old, they're gnarly, they look old. Uh, but they lose a lot of uh, branches because there's a lot of wind in Texas. And he goes out and he picks up the branches and he takes them over and has this big pile. And he puts the branches on and he says, I use those branches for starter fuel for my outside fireplace. He also has some willow trees and those are... Those branches, too, fall off, and he, we were picking them up and putting them in the pile. Branches need care. Verse number 2 talks about the Lord caring for you and me as a branch. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I, I looked that up in lots of different places, and in most, and in most Bibles, it's translated just that way. But there is an alternate translation. And it is the word lifts up. Okay? And so if you look that word up, you'll find that. And so this makes a lot of sense to me. Whenever the Lord sees a limping branch, that's you and me, what's his first impulse? His first impulse is to support and to lift up the branch 
that is sagging. You know, it, it would be strange for a vine dresser to immediately cut off the branch without even giving it a chance to develop properly. But it would be wise and customary for him to stretch the vine on an arbor or use some other means of raising it into the air so the sun could get to it, lift it up. That's the proper sequence of the gardener and the branch. The father's care of the vineyard. When he prunes away the unproductive elements, carefully cleanses the vine of insects, moss, parasites, he lifts them up. Again, I say to you this morning, God wants us to succeed spiritually. He wants to keep the branch out of the ground. He nurtures it. He supports it. Keeps it off the ground. And I think that we could add something to the analogy this morning. Uh, The ground is typical of the cursed earth in which you and I live. And so the Lord here is looking at us to keep us out of the cursed earth. Because this world is cursed. Its diseases attack the branch. You and me. Well, that's his first impulse. He lifts the branch up. But, now follow this with me this morning. You and I make the decision to be a fruit bearer. Fruit bearing is a decision. And there are some Christians that you know, listen, I'm going to try to be kind, that decide they're not going to bear any fruit. They make that decision. And so after the Lord nurtures them and lifts them up and gives them chance after chance to be a productive Christian, what does he do then? (coughs) He goes on to the second meaning of that word. He takes that branch away. He clips it. He clips it off. Now, that doesn't mean that a Christian loses their salvation because John chapter 15 is not about salvation. It's about fellowship. He clips it off, and that means they lose the opportunity to be a fruit-bearing Christian. You and I know many, many people who have lost the opportunity of being a fruit-bearing Christian. They are a Christian in name only, that's all. Because they made the decision not to be a fruit bearer. Uh, They have what we call a cosmic or worldly connection. And it bears, first of all, no fruit. How many people do you know and how many of us fit into this category from time to time in our life? No fruit. Now remember, we've just explained to you what fruit is. We are Christians in name only. What would, what would this connection look like in our world? Well, it means going through the motions of religion. This is why people are so turned off with religion today. It doesn't work. It has no power. No power to change them and anyone around them. Uh, this person that has this casual connection with God will submit to outward rules. In fact, they can be a good church member. They embrace the historical faith. They know the creeds. They could even be a theologian or a missionary or a pastor. Well, remember in the New Testament, Jesus uh, was dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. They were the theologians in their day. They knew the scriptures better than anybody. They looked good on the outside, but there was no, follow me, there was no connection. 
no connection. Um, these people in the New Testament were clinging to their ancestral faith and not God himself. And so uh, there are many people that you and I know throughout the years who have no fruit. But then there is this close connection that bears fruit. And this close connection always has with it the idea of pruning. Look at it. Verse 2. He that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, and that means made a decision to be a fruit bearer, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. The word prune there means cleanse. He prunes it. Uh, this is the job of the gardener. Years ago, we had a, a bush right outside the church on, as you go out on the left side. Uh, and it was, um, it was a pretty bush. And I remember it was a Rosa Sharon. And I remember one, one day I came in and somebody had cut it almost way down. I, th- I thought, they've ruined this bush. They just whacked it. Took it right about in half. But the next blooming season, you know what happened? It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I thought they ruined it. But they pruned it. And so in order to be a productive Christian, God has to prune you. He has to prune me. He has to take away things out of our life that are detrimental for our Christian life. And I, and I think that I could reduce the whole pruning idea to two words. Character cleansing. Character cleansing. You know, our reputation is what people see. Our character is who we really are. And so what God has to do is he has to get down under what people see and start working on who we really are at our deepest level. You know, when a person comes to Christ, uh, God begins to prune them automatically. Uh, You know, the world... uh, wants us to be like them, but God doesn't want us to be like the world. He wants us to be different. And if we are close to Christ, that's a given thing. I remember one person told me one time after they got saved, they said, listen, i got to find some new friends. I have to find some new friends. Well, oftentimes that's the case. Uh, I can't go to the places that I used to go to. Uh, I used to look... For love in all the wrong places. God has to deal with the habits in our life. We live in an addictive society, don't we? People are addicted to everything. God has to prune that in our life. It hurts us as a Christian. It hurts our Christian growth. Taking these negative things out of our life. I've always loved 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's, uh, let's read that together. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You know, when a person comes to Christ, that doesn't mean they change just like that overnight. That means the new journey has started. And God has to prune them, take care of them, and nurture them. Take away things out of their life. Now, the branch is very limited here according to the scriptures in verse 4. Uh, it says the branch outside of Christ can do, cannot bear fruit. 
In verse number 5, it says, Without me you can do nothing. Nothing. No good thing can come from a branch that is separated in fellowship from the vine. Uh, go home and look up Jack Wurtzen. Jack Wurtzen was a man who was tremendously used by God in a different age. Uh, he came to Christ and dedicated his life to the Lord. And he, he was an evangelist. And he went around New York City and he had meetings even in Madison Square Garden preaching Christ. And he would get these kids saved off of the streets of New York City and he would take them up to the Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. And through the years, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kids have gone from New York and New Jersey to the Bible Institute in Scroon Lake. And I've been there once or twice and I'll tell you what, it is a long, lonely road up there through the Adirondacks. How many people have ever made that drive up there? Lake Placid, New York. I'm driving along, I'm thinking, I hope this car does not stop. The bears will eat me before anybody finds me up here. There's cell phone services gone. There's nothing up there. And you come up there and you find all these hundreds of people studying the Bible uh, through a simple man, Jack Wurtzen. Well, he preached one time in uh, a friend of mine's church in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, Dino Padrone. And Pastor Dino told me, you know, usually a, when a church has a speaker in, they'll meet in the pastor's office, and the pastor and the speaker will pray together. And so he was meeting with Jack Wurtzen, who was going to be preaching at his church that night, and he was an older man at that time. And uh, Dino said, let's pray. And they bowed their head, and he, Dino closed his eyes, and all of a sudden... Jack Wurtzen just fell on the floor, thump, calling out to God that God would use him. There is this principle. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Jack Wurtzen has accomplished a speaker as a powerful evangelist would still recognize that he needed a close connection with God. He couldn't do this himself. Well, the decision to bear fruit uh, is indeed that, a decision. Uh, how, do you, how do you fan this union, though? First of all, we decide in our heart that we are going to obey Christ rather than man. Look at verse number four. It says, abide in me. That's a command right there. And so... We have to ask ourselves, am I going to do that? What does it mean? It means intimacy. It means harmony. These disciples were talking to him and listening to him, and that's what it means. They were obeying his teaching. And Jesus said this in John chapter 8, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, many people have the idea that if they become a Christian, it will restrict their life. No, it just works the opposite way. It frees your life. When you know the truth, you can be free. When you don't know the truth, you're bound. You're restricted. The scripture says, my commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest to your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I like that. My burden is light. You serve the world, the burden is heavy. You serve the Lord, it's light. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. To give you a future and a hope. God's committed to your success. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel good. That really does. He's watching over me. He's watching over you. First of all, we need to fan this union, and that means to obey his teaching, to practice love, uh, to fellowship in church with God's people. You know, vine life, and here we have the, the picture that that's the picture. I don't keep it up there too long because I love Concord grapes. This is what the Lord sees when he sees the church right here. Fruit in clusters. There are smaller clusters. There are larger clusters. But it's all good. All the clusters are good if they are growing, developing, maturing. So in our church, we have older saints and I'll tell you what, they have developed love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, self-sacrifice, things of that nature. And then we have a little cluster, a little cluster, but they're growing too. Uh, fellowship in the church, we learn from each other. And then prayer promises much fruit. Uh, Whenever you and I are committed to prayer, we can be sure that fruit is going to be a byproduct of that. Uh, this change which God desires for you and for me in prayer is called transformation. How many parents have ever told their kids, listen, stop hanging out with that kid, you're starting to act just like him. You ever heard that? Joanne and I have been going through our old pictures. Boy, we got lots of them. We were so young back in those days. You know, I'm amazed. I thought we were still the same. And, and I discovered I had some of my old report cards. Now, you're interested in that, aren't you? Oh, they're funny. I almost brought them to church last night for the Saturday night group because we have a little bit more fun on Saturday night. And maybe I'll bring them out and show you the report cards. But I, above all people, needed transformation. That's, the, that's my point. What my teachers wrote on my report cards, you wouldn't want. <laughs> transformation. Uh, you've told your kids, don't hang out with that person. Uh, you're starting to act like them. Now, follow me. When you hang out with Jesus, the same is true. You start to act like him. You start to change in his presence. Second Corinthians 3.18 says that. And we need to also have some fresh acts of faith. Now, I'm talking about fanning the union of our fellowship. Fresh acts of faith. Giving is one of those. Giving. Uh, when the, Again, I'll use my Joanne as an example. She's sitting right down here on the second row this morning. I like this. She, her class was like dissolved this morning because of the snow. She, she sat in the first service, too. Uh, she calls this the second blessing. Uh, giving. Joanne tithed 
her income to the Lord before I met her as a teenager, and so did I. When we met each other, we just continued on doing that. And I'm not boasting. I'm just stating a fact that for over 50 years, Joanne and I have tithed our income to the church. And we have never missed one week by the grace of God. We have never missed one week. And somebody said, well, how did you do that? Well, it was, it was easy. And here's, here's how. We always gave God the first tenth percent. That's how you make it easy. It gets hard if you give God the, the last 10%. You know, that it gets hard. Because you have all your piles of bills here and they, they just pile up and you're going down through and, you, and, you, and there's nothing left for God. And so the Bible says to bring the first fruits that you have to God. And so that means you take off the top and you never have to worry about it again. It's wonderful to do that. Uh, it is a blessing. Malachi 3.10 is a wonderful verse on tithing. And let me say this, and, and I wish that I could develop this this morning. Uh, tithing is God's historical standard of giving. Before the law, Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed. Then there was this whole period of law, and that's what they did. You see it all over there. When Jesus came on the scene, he told the scribes and the Pharisees, yes, you go ahead and tithe. And so here's a wonderful promise. Let's, let's look at this. I'll read this to you. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God says, listen, if you give to me, if you give for your work, I will bless you. That's in black and white. Joanne and I are living proof of this verse. Living proof. We have had so many spiritual blessings in our life. Now, this is the kind of thing that you just can't do like for three weeks and say, okay, that didn't work. And this is not the kind of thing you can do if you live above your means. If you're organized financially... And you're living on your income, you can do this. If you're living on hope, you can't do this. And so God's financial plan is laid out in the Bible. We pay our bills on time. We try to live within we live within our means. We don't we don't try to spend money we don't have. And so we have a certain amount in which we can use. We take the top percent and give it to God, and He blesses that. And I want to encourage you to make that commitment in your life. You'll never be sad that you made that. You'll never be sad. And here's the reason why. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you cannot outgive God. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Now, you'll be tempted from time to time not to do it. Of course. But, you know, God's work has to move forward. And when we're a Christian, we want to be a part of the team, don't we? Sure. And that's how we're a part of the team. Uh, and so that's an act of faith. And when sometimes when you pose that to people, they get, a, they get afraid. That's a natural reaction. But that's faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then another act of faith is witnessing. And I'm just giving you some examples here. Because a lot of times we think witnessing is this. 
I believe witnessing is this. Now, I know that many people are one to Christ like this. The street preacher. That's all good. That's all good. But more people are brought to Christ by conversation with a friend. At work. At the office. At a business appointment. On an airplane. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. Just telling your story. That's an act of faith because the Lord prompts us, doesn't he? Speak to that person. Speak to that person. And we go, I didn't hear you, Lord. And the Lord says, come on, come on. You can do it. And then what happens is we step out and we do it. And I'll tell you, God opens the way. He opens the way. And, and here's the reason why. If you had the cure for cancer, you'd never withhold that from anybody, would you? You'd give it out free. But you know, you have the cure for the wages of sin. That's the cure. And that's much more important. And so I encourage you today to, uh, to make fresh steps of faith in your life. If God is talking to you about something, step out and do it. Because that's how you grow as a Christian. And that's how you grow closer to God. This, the whole idea of giving. Remember Jesus said uh, that uh, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you give to the ministry, your heart is in the ministry. Your heart is in the things of God. That means you draw closer to God. It's that simple. And when you obey the Lord... Remember, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God's prompting you to do something, and you're, you're reluctant, and he's pushing you. And then you finally go, oh, okay, God. And you say, oh, we can do this. Not I can do it. We can do it. Steps of faith. Well, the choice is ours. And here I'll close. The choice is ours. We look in the church, and we, sh we shouldn't do this, but we do it. We look in the church, and we say, here's a member over here, and they, they are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. They're really growing in God. And then there's somebody over here, and we don't see it in their life. We don't see it in their life. You know the difference between those two people? Is not the opportunity to grow... It's the choice that they made to grow. This person over here made a choice and said, I will grow in God. That's what I want for my life. I don't want that. And that person over there said, I don't care about that. I have other interests. And so this all boils down to your choice. Because God has done everything he can for you to be successful as a Christian. Can I have an amen? He's done everything he can. He has given his son to die upon the cross for you. He has given you the Holy Spirit to prompt you and to move in your heart. He's done everything he can to make you successful. All you have to do is cooperate with him and obey him. And enjoy the blessing. Let's bow our heads in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let us um, just think of how we are connected to the vine this morning.
As Jesus walked with his disciples up the Mount of Olives, he probably saw some unhealthy branches hanging on for dear life onto the vine. Unhealthy. Probably saw some broken branches, branches that have fallen off and withered up. And, of course, saw some healthy branches of intimacy and harmony with the vine. When the Lord looks down upon us today in the church, how does he see you? Does he see you as an unhealthy, struggling branch? Or does he see you as a branch that's on the ground? You're broken off your fellowship. Or does he see some fruit there? Well, remember this, the choice is yours. And uh, I'd like to invite you in this time right now of, of... of silence, this invitation time, to just uh, speak to the Lord right now about where you are, about where you are and where you want to go as a Christian. And just talk to the Lord. Tell Him, Lord, I, I want to be, I want to be healthy as a Christian. I want to let you prune the things out of my life that hinder me from my connection with you, my fellowship. They're detrimental. I know it. And just deal with that right now in the church this morning. And on this snowy Sunday, uh, you can have a real victory. You can. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for what you're doing in the church this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this terrific analogy that you've given us in the Bible that is just so uh, so graphic and uh, helpful for all of us. I just uh, pray that all of us will have this mental image in our mind as we leave the church this morning of, of these grapes that are pleasing to the gardener. Bring this, Lord, to pass in our life. In Jesus' name, We pray, and all the Lord's people said, Amen. Okay. Just one other, just one announcement. Uh, Rhonda mentioned earlier, maybe you weren't in here. There, of course, isn't any uh, choir practice tonight, but for those of you who are going to participate in the Easter event and all of that, she has information for you to pick up before you leave the church this morning. Okay? Let's stand together, please, as we... uh, Shake hands with some of our friends before we go home. Be very careful out there. God bless you. Have a great day. You're dismissed.